And uh, while they are passing that basket around, uh, wasn't it a blessing to have our kids blowing the shofar tonight, starting our service? Yeah, I, I really thought that was, uh, that was awesome. For some of you that are visiting or it's your first time, uh, here the uh, belief is that the shofar sound is the closest sound mankind can make that resembles the actual voice of God because when they were on Mount Sinai and they heard him speaking, it sounded like, and it said a growing loud trumpet. And, uh, and so uh, we started doing that, uh, I don't know, a, a while back, and I just think it's a real blessing to start our services that way. And I really appreciate the kids doing it. And here's something else that you probably don't know. We didn't ask the kids to do it. They asked if they could do it. Yeah. So that just gives me goosebumps, amen? Uh, I, it, what, what a blessing, what a blessing. All right, so uh, we have notes on the table for you. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll, we can get some to you. Um, the, the portion is this uh, portion, kukat, uh, in Hebrew, I, each week I'm putting, giving you the Hebrew name for it, and then in parentheses there you can see um, the, the meaning of it. It's the decree of, and that's what this section is about, this decree, and it's this decree of uh, starting off here with this story about the red heifer. Um, and it's these laws about uh, purification, as Susan was uh, helping us to understand, and this section of Scripture is um, dripping. It is literally dripping with meaning about our Messiah. And especially this one about the red heifer, it's actually fascinating when you start trying to understand uh, the Jewish mindset of this particular law or decree. I'm going to read something for us here in a second. Um, about it because it's absolutely, uh, it's fascinating. So I want to start off and read these first six verses to kind of set the pace for us here on this section about this, um, the statute uh, about this law or the decree of uh, this law dealing with this red heifer. So we're in Numbers chapter 19. We'll read the first six verses and then we'll try to march through this. So it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it be, shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting, seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its skin, its flesh, and its blood with its dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer. All right, so this is the, uh, <clears throat> the statute of this law about the red heifer. Anybody hear about the stories? They're in the news all the time about the red heifer. They're in the news all the time and has been for a long time. Here's the reason. It's because it has to do with this law for purification. They have to use it in dedicating the new temple. 
So there has to be <clears throat> this red heifer, and it has to be absolutely perfect. They look for just a few hairs on this red heifer that are not red, be it white or black. And I forget the number. I want to say it's three. If they find more than three, it's not qualified. There were people raising them here in America for that reason to dedicate, what, the next temple. Because we know there will be one built, right? For those of you that are visitors, okay, when I ask a question, it's okay to reply back. This is not a come and watch ceremony here, okay? We're in this together, right? So they're raising it uh, and trying to raise these animals uh, for the dedication of what will be the next or the third temple, the uh, temple here <clears throat> during this tribulation period. Here's what's interesting. They are now raising them in Israel. And there's constant reports of them finding one that is qualified. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if they actually have one yet or not, uh, because I keep seeing reports they found one, and then later you'll find out, no, the rabbis disqualified it or whatever. But the last report I saw was that they actually had more than one. If you don't know this, they already have all the furniture for the temple built. It's sitting and waiting. So um, it all revolves around this issue of this red heifer, okay? It's a big deal. It is a big, big deal. They're literally saying that um, <clears throat> because it has to do with purification. We'll get into some of this here in just a second because, once again, it's just in your Bible. It's, it's there and it's plain as day. We just have a tendency to read over it <clears throat> uh, why it's important. But it has to do with the purification of the temple area. Have you ever seen... In, in, do you watch the news coming out of Israel? I, I, I do. And... <clears throat> A lot of the rabbis literally do not want Jews on the Temple Mount. Did you know that? They don't want them up there. Well, the reason is because they don't want them getting too close to where the Holy of Holies originally was and the actual temple for fear of defiling that place because they don't have the red heifer. So all of that is tied together, and that's why they're like, no, 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 don't go up there because you'll desecrate the space. We could get into that debate, and I think it's ridiculous, but anyways, that's, that's a whole other animal. But here's what I want you to see. I want to read this out of a, this is a Jewish commentary that I have. Um, it's called the um, uh, Etzkaim Torah and Commentary. <clears throat> and uh, I want to read this first little section dealing with this Chapter 19, this first section here about the red heifer, because there's no way I can say it any better. And I want to just read it so that you understand I'm not interpreting this. I'm just telling you what they, how they view this passage. It's fascinating. It says, before continuing, before continuing with the narrative, the Torah offers us a strange ritual of a brown or red cow. It is the classic example of a law that defies rational explanation. 
Indeed, the general tenor of the commentaries ask us to accept this law without understanding it as a sign of love for and trust in God. The commentators hold that it would be almost unseemingly to search for a rational explanation, implying that God's Word would be acceptable only if it fits our canons of reasoning. Human failure to understand a truth does not make it any less true. Hallelujah. And then it gets into this midrash uh, thought. Uh, we've talked about midrash, but anyhow, what they say is <clears throat> um, they believe that Solomon, and it's taken out of an obscure passage in Ecclesiastes, but they actually believe that Solomon, in all of his wisdom, tried to understand the 613 laws in the Old Testament. I know. But the 613 laws in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but when he came to this one about the red heifer, he said, I can't, I'll say it in Paul's lingo, I can't figure this one out. The rabbis to this very day literally say that these laws pertaining, or this particular law pertaining to this red heifer is beyond understanding. Out of all of the laws in the Old Testament, they say it's this one that literally makes no sense. None whatsoever. They're like, we, we can't even, they can't even come up with reasons or trying to figure this out. And that's why I wanted to read that because he literally says, it is unseemingly for us as mere human beings to say, if I can't find the reasons behind it or the why behind it and make it logical in my mind, then that makes God's law right. That's, that's a wrong attitude. If we can't figure it out, that doesn't make a truth any less true. Right? And so that's their view on this issue of this red heifer. And the red heifer is necessary for purification if you've come in contact with the dead specifically. <clears throat> and you have to also remember that this is given when? Right after the 14,700 of them died. And we talked about that last week, how Aaron was a type of Messiah standing out there with the censors between the dead and dying and those that are still alive. The wrath of my father will not touch you. It just still gives me goosebumps, right? So very cool. So there's been 14,700 people that have died. you got to do something with them. you still got to come into God's presence, though. How are you going to do all this when you've literally come in contact with death and dying, which is a symbol of sin? We weren't supposed to be dying. Sin came in, corrupted everything, and death entered. You tracking with all that? <laughs> So all of that has happened, and then all of a sudden God gives them these interesting rules that kind of don't make sense. All of these other sacrifices, <clears throat> they're done there in the temple area, go through all of this stuff. There's blood thrown on the altar and all this stuff that's going on, and you bring these in. This one is done... And the cow is taken outside the camp, slaughtered outside the camp, and burned whole. Blood, 
skin. I mean, they don't, they, all they do is kill the animal. They take some of the blood. And the picture is that the high priest, and at this point it would be Eleazar, takes some of it and flings it towards the altar or towards the temple area because he's across the valley or he's outside a camp. And he flings it seven times towards the temple area. Seven. Okay? Um, but then there's these, this hyssop and these other things that are also thrown into the fire with the animal, and then they take the ashes and keep them. Okay? The person that's carry, that carries up the ashes and all that stuff, he's the one that actually becomes unclean and has a process for him to go through so that he can become clean. Following that? So the person who has come in contact with death and the bones or, or death and destruction and wants to become clean again, <clears throat> we're told, well, matter of fact, if you go down to verse 9 is where it talks about the one who gathers up the ashes. So it says, and a man who is clean, now he's, he's got to be clean. Now, uh, let me stop for a second because I, I need to repeat, repeat this. Clean means ritually, ceremonially clean where he can, it is reasonable or okay for him to enter into the tabernacle. Doesn't mean saved, righteous, holy, anything like that. It means he's phys his body is physically clean. Therefore, if he went into the tabernacle, the holiness of God wouldn't kill him. Following? So he says, so the person who gathers these ashes, he has to be clean. He gathers up the ashes of the heifer and deposits them outside the camp. It's kept outside the camp in a clean place. Fascinating. So it's got to be a place. It's kept outside the camp, but kept in a clean place. That doesn't mean physically clean like you and I might think. It's talking about ritually, if you will, ceremonially clean because it's going to be used to cleanse those people that have come, come in contact with the dead, okay? And for this to happen, for you to become clean, if you've even touched the bones or the body of a dead person, a relative that you had to bury, okay, 14,700 people that had to do that. For you to become clean, it took seven days. It took seven days for you to become clean after you've touched something that has died. You remember the story about the Good Samaritan? Those were priests coming up from Jerusalem who had already performed all their services. You have to get into their head I'm not saying what they did was right, but they're going to touch a guy that's dying. And if he dies, instead of going back home, they're like, oh, kidding me? Ugh. You know, and I got to go back down to Jerusalem and go through another week-long process to become clean before I can even then go back home. I'm not saying that their attitude was right. It's just you need to understand the whole process for all of that to make sense. Does, 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 does that help? 
So then I want you to see something here because now this picture, as Susan was sharing with us, is dripping with the Messiah. It is absolutely amazing. Watch this. Because the Messiah defies reason. In every aspect, there, if, there, if there's a man on this earth that, tell, that can tell you with a straight face that he totally understands Yeshua, he's lying. You can't. That God would become flesh, die on a cross, pay for our salvation, forgive us, let us be grafted into his family, partake of the very nature of God. I mean, it goes on and on and on. All of that, I'm sorry, defies reason. The Scripture says that when we were still enemies of God, God showed us how much he loved us and that he sent his son to die for us and die on a cross. Don't un- I, all I can say is thank you, Amen. Because you can't reason that. You can't figure that out. So here's this incredible story about this red heifer. And, and, and the Jewish people just kind of go, uh, okay, because you're doing all this outside the camp, and then you're going to burn it and everything outside the camp, and it's kept outside the camp. And then when somebody comes in touch with death, then they got to go through this ritual process with those ashes. The the ashes have to be used. They're put in water and then sprinkled on the unclean person. If that doesn't happen, you can't become clean. Can somebody say, wow? Because he's the Messiah. You can't get clean when you've been in contact with death unless that sacrifice touches you, and absorbs, if you will, gets rid of the death. And it's got to be perfect, completely perfect, scrutinized down to the hairs that it's perfect. Yeshua was perfect beyond that, amen? Look at what it says. Whoever, in verses, picking up with verse 11, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean, For how long? Why not 10 days? Why not 5 days? Why not 6 days? Why not, I don't know, 13 days? Why 7 days? How long? uh, A thousand years is like what to the Lord? And one day is like what? A thousand years? Yeshua's going to come back and reign on the earth for what? A thousand years, one day? According to biblical... Dating, the earth is what? 6,000 years old. So everything's going to be unclean for one week. It goes on. Watch this. So if anybody touches anything dead or a dead person, sin came in at the very beginning, and this death, this uncleanness is going to last for seven days. Watch this. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died, and does not cleanse himself, whoa, here it is, defiles what? Defiles the tabernacle. 
you, you really, and I underlined that on your notes for us, but you, maybe you should highlight it. Maybe I should stop doing that and tell y'all, okay, get your pen out and underline that because it'll help us remember it. And it says, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Look at this. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Let's go back and look at this for a second. So he has to have the water thrown on him, and the water has the ashes mixed with it from the red heifer that was sacrificed and killed and burned outside the camp. Where was Yeshua crucified? Outside the camp. Totally consumed outside the camp, outside the city. Rose when? On the third day. Not on day one and a half and one and three quarters. He was raised on the third day. He was in the ground three days, three nights. He rose on the third day. So we have to be cleansed, and this process has to happen on the third day. And when? And the seventh day. Hmm. So who's coming back for that seventh day? Yeah, you can say it. Jesus is. Yeshua's coming back for that seventh day, 1,000-year reign on the earth. You see this? But the Jewish people, and you have to also keep in mind, before Yeshua, they would be going, I don't know, which is exactly what it says here. They went, look, it defies reason. We don't understand. Everything's happening out there. None of this makes sense. I thought it was supposed to all happen in here. You're sacrificing it out there. You got this third day and this seventh day, and we have to do this to get cleansed. Even a priest, anybody that touches a dead person, they got to go through this long process, and they have to have the water thrown on them on the third day, and they have to have the water thrown on them on the seventh day, and without that process, you don't get cleansed. In other words, you can't just do it on the seventh day. You see, if we don't confess that Yeshua is the Messiah, that He died for our sins, we're not getting in. When? On the seventh day. There's no way around this. I mean, it's just plain and simple what the Scriptures teach. And it's just dripping with it. But without knowing Messiah, without knowing Yeshua and what He's done, None of this really even makes sense, and it breaks, if you will, protocol. It breaks the standard policy that God has been doing. And then look at what he says. This is the part that I underlined for you. He says, because if he doesn't do this, he can't come in, because if he comes in, he's going to do what? Folks, this is why if you don't confess Yeshua as your Savior, you cannot enter into heaven Because you'll defile heaven. It's just that simple. And it's not just an intellectual, yeah, 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 he's God. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he lived and died on the cross. I mean, James 2.19 got me into the kingdom. It says, you believe that God is one and you do well, but the demons also believe that and shudder. So it's so much more than just an intellectual agreement that Jesus is God. You literally have to confess Him as your Savior, and you have to, watch this, let His sacrifice, His body and blood. Did you catch that? The body and the blood and everything is burned up outside the camp. And then those ashes have to be mixed with water and thrown on you. If that doesn't get thrown on you, that water with those ashes 
from that sacrifice, you do not become clean. No matter what you do. There is no other solution to this problem. If you touch anything that's dead, you can't come into the temple without having the sacrifice and the ashes from that sacrifice, his whole body and blood in the form of the ashes put in water, this holy water, put in this water and sprinkled on you. You can't get in. Jesus became our sacrifice. So when he's put on us and we do what? Partake of him. It, if you will, absorbs our sin. Cleanses us so that we can get in. Can I get an amen from somebody? Y'all going to make me go Pentecostal. Can you? <laughs> right? Isn't that cool? I think that's awesome. <clears throat> he continues on. In verse 17, just in case we didn't get it. For the unclean, they shall take some of the ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent and all the furnishings, and on the persons who were there, and on whoever touched the bone, or the slain, or the dead, or the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and the seventh day. Look at this. Thus, on the seventh day he shall be, he shall cleanse him, and he shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water. Uh oh, look at this. And at evening he shall be clean. Folks, he's talking about entering into heaven. After the millennial kingdom. It doesn't even start at the beginning of it. It's at evening, meaning at the dawn of the end of that seventh day. When the sun goes down, that's the end of that seventh day. So he says it's at the end of the seventh day. That's when you actually become clean, meaning you can get in. You see, you and I, those of, you, those of us here that have already asked Christ to be our Savior, we've asked Yeshua to save us and forgive us. He's our Lord, God, and King. Amen? Amen? But you still can't get in in this state. You and I cannot walk into heaven like this. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that we will be changed. And we will be changed when we see Him. We have to be changed and cleansed so that we get in. This is, folks, this is why you start to see this stuff. And I've got verses flying through my head where it talks about the washing of the water of the, of the Word. And He says, and I will wash you with clean water. And He will what? Also give us new clothes for the wedding. It goes on and on and on. He loves us, loves you so much that even when Israel was steeped in sin, he goes, that's okay. Guess what? I'm going to paint a picture of my love for you and how far I'm going to go, but this is what I want you to do. And you're not going to understand it. Just do it. 
Any of us here other than anybody here other than me have a problem with that? I'm, I'm being honest here. Some of y'all sinning right now. <laughs> I mean, because we want to understand it, right? We, we, we want to we're like, well, you know, I, yeah, I'll do it. But I mean, can you give me the why? And we do exactly what I just read out of this book where they say, don't do that. You think that you're so smart that you have to have it. It has to be reasonable in your head before you'll do simply what God said. What if he's telling us to do things because it's a picture of something that is of extreme importance? I'm going to show you why this is so important to simply obey what he says. But we have a tendency even today as believers in Christ yeah, but, you know, can you show me why? <laughs> dumb, dumb. I mean, we're supposed to be glorifying our king, amen? And he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. What if God is showing us things and showing us things in his word? He says, this is what I want you to do because when you do this, you're going to, well, you're going to glorify me because I'm painting a picture of my love for everybody and all of you people and collectively, individually and collectively are supposed to be telling a story about my love for everybody in every single thing you say and do, even in the way you worship me. Did you know that according to uh, the Jewish thought, you know what the highest form of worship is? I think they're right study of God's very word. We think it's all wrapped up in euphoric song and stuff, and I'm not taking anything away from all that. But um, if our songs don't line up with Scripture, but they're really emotional, don't mean diddly squat. And how many people in churches to this day can get all excited singing and jumping around in church with secular music. And we think that's great. God wants us to do what He said. He wants us to live it out and do what He said. Why? Because He meant what He said, and He said what He meant, and what He said is a picture of what He's been doing and what He's going to do. And sometimes we won't understand all of the things that He said to do that's okay. You're not supposed to understand it. You're supposed to be a representative of your king. Watch this because this keeps on going out. <clears throat> Once again, if you'll turn the page to page 2, you get to verse 20, and he says it again because we have a tendency to think that these sins and stuff, they defile us, they separate us from God and all that, which all of that is true, but we need to understand, he says, the man who is unclean and does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly. Why? See, now he's going to give us the why. And he's going to do it in another issue with Moses and striking the rock, which is fascinating. He goes, this is the why. Since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. That's why. We have a tendency to think this whole universe revolves around us. It doesn't. It revolves around God. And He's invited us in. But it doesn't revolve around you or me or our sin. God's got a solution for all of that. 
The real issue is God. And he goes, he's, he sanct- defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. He goes, why? Because the water of impurity hasn't been thrown on him. He's unclean. He came in here, he touched this stuff, belongs to me. He defiled my house. We raise sheep at our house. They're interesting animals. This time of the year, too, they can get a little smelly, you know. And, uh, and we've also got these miniature cows, these zebus, you know. So now our property's just got cow and sheep poo everywhere, you know, yeah. But we love messing with those animals. Uh, but this time of the year, when I'm out there working with them, Sonia come in, she did it just the other day, and I've got some, I had some jeans just laying over the tub. And she goes, what are these for? And I said, they're there drying out. And she goes, drying out from what? And I said, I got them all wet. She goes, how'd you get them wet? And I said, sweating. Yeah. Ugh. You know, yeah, out there working. I mean, can you imagine getting all nasty and sweaty and dirty and cow and sheep poo on you and bugs and dirt and junk? And then you get invited to go eat dinner at the White House with the president, and you don't even take a shower. Right? Ooh. It's that kind of mindset, and God's like, yeah, but this is my house. You don't bring that stuff in my house. You just don't do it. It'll defile my house. If you want to mess with that, wear yourself out. You just can't come in my house. It's really just that simple. You want to go do that stuff? Wear yourself out. You're more than welcome. Go right ahead. I'll give you everything you say you want. That's what you want to do? You want to play with the devil? Go ahead. I'm going to turn him loose. You can go play with that stuff. You're just not coming in my house. Does that make sense? So then you get to chapter 20, and this is a story about the rock. You get to chapter 20, uh, there's more about Yeshua and the red heifer. We'll get to that in just a second because there's something about this rock and also this bronze serpent and, and how it represents the Messiah. So in chapter 20, verse 5, it says, uh, this is the people grumbling once again against Moses and Aaron, uh, Moses and God. They're, just, they're never happy. We talked about that last week. Why are they not happy? Because they wanted the stuff. They wanted the promised land. They wanted the vineyards. They wanted the land. They wanted their inheritance. They wanted the orchards. They really didn't want God. They wanted the stuff. And their eyes were focused on the stuff, not walking with their God. And because of that, they haven't gotten into the land. Why didn't they go into the land? Because they didn't obey God when God said, go in the land. And then <laughs> because they didn't want to obey Him. So now they're still not happy. Why? Because they're not in the land. And they're dying in the wilderness and hungry and hot and sweaty and smelling like sheep. They had their animals. They had all that stuff out there. And watch this. They didn't have an HVAC unit. Just saying. Right? They didn't even have the water to take a bath with. Whoa. Right? You can imagine camp started smelling pretty rank. Right? And they are not happy for so many reasons. So here we are in verse 5, chapter 20, and this is what they're saying. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil 
place. It gets worse. It is no place for grains or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water or drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Isn't it amazing how many times we'll only sort of do what God said? Wrong. He took the staff like God said, but then you continue on in verse 10. It says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Can you just imagine? I mean, Moses, I can't really blame him, right? I mean, first of all, he's raised in Egypt, you know, Pharaoh's house, all that stuff. The next thing he knows, he's in the wilderness about to die. And then he's watching sheep for 40 years. He sees a bush burning, and God goes, you're going to go back to Egypt and get my people. Right. Then he goes, and God does all these miracles, and the people do nothing but complain. He take them across the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts, all they do is complain. He takes them to Mount Sinai. They hear the voice of God. He goes up to get the commandments they make the golden calf. I mean, for crying out loud. It just goes on and on and on. He finally gets them to the promised land. We ain't going in. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Oh, you mean we're going to die? Okay, now we'll go in. He goes, no, don't go in. They go in anyhow. Then they get killed. And the list just goes on and on and on. We don't have any food to eat. We don't have any meat to eat. And Moses goes, well, guess what? God's going to give you meat about the size of the state of Texas. I don't know. It's like 60, 30 miles this way, 30 miles that way, three feet thick. And you're going to eat it till it comes out your nostrils. And while they're eating it, they start dying. It just keeps on and on, and they never seem to learn. Why? Because they got this heart problem. They've had all this go on. Now they're complaining again. So he goes, here now, you rebels. Problem. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Uh-oh. Yeah. I think, now some of the commentators will say he's referring to himself and Aaron. I think he's referring to himself, Aaron, and God. Putting himself pretty much equal with God in this thing, and he's getting involved in this. And then, because, watch this, because he's angry, he does something seriously wrong. So, in verse 11, it says, and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. So he struck it. He hit it twice. Water does come out. God wants to bless them. He doesn't want them to die, right? Because they're his nation that he's raising up to be a light to the nations and to prove that he's God, right? So he doesn't want them to die, but he's also trying to get Egypt out of them. We've talked about that. Now, now then, most of the time we read this and we think, okay, so Moses didn't get to go in because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, right? 
The issue with the rock and water coming out of the rock happens twice in the life of Moses. The first time it happens, God tells him, strike the rock, and he struck the rock. This time when it happens, God says, now I want you to speak to the rock. In the New Testament, we're told that the rock that was with them in the wilderness was Christ Messiah. And we all drank of that same drink, and we're drinking of it now. Even we are participating and drinking in of the goodness of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, right? So we're told that in the New Testament, except what was supposed to happen was on Yeshua's first coming, He was what? Like in Isaiah 53, smitten, struck, beaten, crushed for our iniquities. When he comes back the second time, he's what? Announced. He comes with a trumpet call and the very voice of God. And he is announced. And in the New Testament, I think I've got it in your notes. It literally says when he comes back, he will not come back the next time to deal with sin, but to save his own. He came the first time to deal with sin and was crushed, bit, beaten, struck. You know, it says, by his stripes we are healed. The word is literally stripe. It's the wound, the stripe, the striking of the cross and the wrath of God that healed us and saved us. But when he comes the second time, he's to be announced. You following with me? So because you and I, we human beings, once again, we're just, I don't know, I'll speak for myself. I'm a little dim-witted. It just takes a long time. i got to learn this lesson about a million times. I'm always going back to God saying, God, I'm sorry, it's me again. I know I'm the only one in the room that ever does that. But I just, I forget, and I have to be told over and over and over again. And I think God knows that's just in our heart. And so he has to tell us over and over and over and over again, shows us sign after sign after sign after sign. Then he puts it down in writing, and we still can't get it. We have a tendency to think that everything is just cause and action, you know, that, okay, Moses struck the rock and he didn't speak to it, so that's why he doesn't get to go in. Wrong. He struck the rock, that's what he did, but that's not why he doesn't get to go in. That was his action. God still brought water, but he tells us why Moses is not going to be able to go in. It's very, very specific. He says, listen, this is what I told you to do. I told you to do this. I told you the first time, strike the rock. This why I'm telling you, go out there and assemble the people, take the staff, and speak to the rock. Why would he tell him to speak to the rock? We know now because it's a picture of the two comings of the Messiah. But look at what he says. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Holy means what? Set apart, separated, different, distinct. Moses, you didn't uphold me as separated, distinct, holy in the eyes of my own people by not doing what I said. That's why he didn't get to go in. It wasn't the action. He just simply didn't do what God said. Therefore, I'll say it this way, he profaned God's name. 
Profane means make common. And God right here says, you didn't uphold me as holy, separate, distinct from all the other gods in the sight of my own people when I brought them out of Egypt to prove that I'm distinct, holy, and different from all the other gods. You following that? So it wasn't because he just struck the rock. It's because God said, you speak to it. This is how you do it. Speak to it. Moses, I know you don't understand. You're not going to understand. Just do it. It's a picture. Plus, he said it. And since he said it, that's how it's supposed to be done. Watch this. Especially, watch this, because it was prophetic. Why? God said, look, is there another God like me? Declaring the end of the matter from the very beginning. Behold, I said it. I declared it. I'm going to do it. So when he says something like that, he says, this is how it's supposed to happen. And it needs to happen exactly like this because I'm God and I'm issuing forth a prophecy and a picture of my Messiah, my love and forgiveness of my own people. Don't mess this up. And we keep messing it up because we keep telling God we got a better way. Isn't that amazing? We're doing it today. We're doing it today. It's amazing. There's so much junk in the church. It's scary. I mean, y'all need to understand something. I've been in the ministry a long time. We were talking before services. I've been in court on a witness stand. Ugly. I, I've got stories that are scary in the church from trained people that should know better. And we just constantly adulterate the Word of God. Hey, you got to get in nickels and noses, man. Get the nickels and noses in here. It's a good business. You think I'm kidding. Um, I will guarantee you. I'll go ahead and say it. And maybe I'll answer for it for eternity. I will guarantee you that kind of stuff. I'll say it in my slang. God ain't happy. And there will be a day of reckoning. It doesn't matter what it looks like down here if you think it looks good. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, folks, we're making a mockery of the very name of God when we do that kind of junk. All right, so he said, Moses, listen, this is why you're not getting in. You didn't uphold me as holy. He doesn't even say, which I think, Moses, what are you doing putting yourself up here equal with me? Moses what, are you doing? He didn't, Moses, what are you doing just striking the rock? Okay, well, you're not getting in because you struck the rock. You disobeyed me. Isn't that how we usually think? Moses, you disobeyed me, so now you're not getting in. No. Moses, your disobedience was profaning my name because I said something, and it was a prophetic issue, and you didn't do what I said. And this was a big deal. 
So now you're not getting in. So now let's go to chapter 21 because this is the other one. And it's another one that's really kind of strange, right? Anybody here know the story about the serpent and making a bronze serpent and putting it up on a pole and telling people to look at it, right? Sounds like uh, <clears throat> idol worship, doesn't it? Right? And you go, God's telling them to make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole and they have to look at it to get healed from the serpents biting them. Right? And you go, that just doesn't even, can anybody here other than me say, we well, you know that just does not make any sense, right? And you go, that doesn't, why would you do that, God? You even tell us, you know, you don't make any kind of graven image. You don't do that kind of stuff. And now you're telling your own people, make a serpent, put it up on a pole. When they look at that serpent, then they'll be healed. And we all go, do that with me. Yeah, right? Because it just doesn't make sense, except it's prophetic. Hugely prophetic. Watch this. So from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. This is where you got the Edomites and the Amorites. We're, we're skipping that part tonight. We just don't have time because they wouldn't let them go into the land. And they were like, look, we won't do anything. We just need to cross. And they're like, no, you're not crossing over. And so that, that's a whole other story. And they end up fighting them and all this other stuff. So they're trying to go around by the way of the Red Sea. Is that not hilarious? The irony of it all. Like, we're right back where we started. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Having all these, now you can imagine, now they're, you know, but they're just not happy. They're right back where they started. Well, they said they wanted to go back to Egypt. So from Mount Hor, they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. They became impatient. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Watch this. There is no food and no water. Here, here we go. I told you it gets worse. And we loathe this worthless food. They literally say this manna Food from heaven is worthless, and we loathe it. Now, I know you and me, you're probably like, how could you say that? Well, if you had to eat plain uh, oatmeal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 20 years, how about a month? Just a month. Would you be sitting there going, really? You can't reach over in the cabinet and get the sugar and get the bananas and get the cinnamon sugar, you know, and all. You can't doctor it. You just got plain old oatmeal. No, no, right? Just before we get too quick to say, <laughs> how could you get tired of it? I mean, I'm sure they just, you know, it's the same stuff. But because their heart was wrong, they loathed it and called, told God, what you're giving me is worthless. That's in the heart, isn't it? Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. So God sends serpents to bite the people. Not good. 
You want to bite me with your Lashon Harah, the evil tongue? Right? We talked about that. You want to speak against God with the evil tongue? Then I'll take something that hisses and let it bite you. I'm going to give you what you ask for. Sends these fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that, the many, so that many people of Israel died. So the serpents represent what? I, I think this is right. The evil attitude of the people. They were speaking against God, and a snake what hisses and kills you by biting. So their evil tongue was biting at God. You following that? So the serpents are a picture of them. You following that? I don't think that's stretching it. The people came to Moses and said, oh, pretty much, oh, Lord, we messed up again. (laughs) We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And we go, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's go ahead and jump to Romans 11, and then we'll start trying to tie this together, and we'll close it down for tonight. So in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a hallelujah from somebody? That's good news, right? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Kind of like the serpents, sin and death, right? For God has done away, has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Was the law bad and weak or what, what weakened it? The flesh weakened it. We weakened it. It wasn't that the law was bad. We're just idiots, right? So he says, by sending his own son, here it is, in the likeness of what? In the likeness of sinful flesh. So God sends the likeness of sinful flesh So that those that look upon it, when it's what? Raised up on the pole, the cross, will be saved and healed from their wickedness. I got one woe. Okay. That's pretty cool, right? It goes on because it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Does that sound like Israel? What we've been studying. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. What was it bringing them? They had their minds and their eyes set on the things of the flesh in this world, and it kept bringing them death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Can you see that? Their mind was set on the flesh, therefore they became hostile at God. You ever see people just get ticked off at God? There's a simple answer. It's because our eyes aren't fixed on Him. It's fixed on us and our circumstances and the flesh. 
and that God didn't do what we thought He should have done. Because after all, we're so smart and we know what tomorrow holds and we know what's best for us. Right? So then we get mad at God. This is exactly what He's saying here, which is exactly what they did in the wilderness. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Yeah. It will not submit to what God says. And the reason it won't submit to what God says is because its eyes and mind is set on the things of this world and worried more about us and our stuff and our inheritance and the things that we expect to get instead of what God is doing and joining Him in this beautiful saga and being a picture of the Messiah. So our mind set on this world and all of our worries and all of our stuff becomes hostile to God because God tells us to do something when we go, yeah, you know, I just don't think so. Doesn't fit. Well, watch this. It doesn't fit my theology. So, no, sorry, no can do. Can I get one? Uh Uh-oh. Instead of just just what he said. And it says it cannot, those who are in the flesh, can not please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care if you sing like an angel or can preach great. You can teach great. Look, if the Spirit of God isn't in you, well, you're not getting in. And I'll go ahead and say it, you're actually an agent of the enemy. And he's playing you like a fiddle. Well, let's go on to Hebrews. We're going to start to tie these two things together here in this picture. Because in Hebrews, it talks about the redemption of Christ through His blood. It says, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that that have come, then through the greater and a more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, meaning heaven, right? Not the tabernacle or the temple. He entered once, of all, once, of, once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Look at this. For if the blood of bulls blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer. There it is. You see it? So the writer of Hebrews is taking this and connecting it back to what we're already studying back in Numbers and the picture of this red heifer that to this very day they go, we don't get it. It's bizarre. It's an anathema. It doesn't fit. There's this law about the red heifer and all these things that have to happen have to happen outside the camp, but we just can't get it. And he's, he's explaining right here, it's the picture of the Messiah. That they were these defiled persons uh, with the ashes of the heifer, sanctified for the purification, look at this, of what? I'm going to make y'all say it. Purification of what? So does that mean it gets you into heaven? No. It was something physical, dealing with a physical space where God was dwelling, dealing with this body. But a picture of what the Messiah was going to be doing, dealing with the heart. You following that? 
How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, there it is, to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow. There going, he goes, therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So now he's telling us not only do we have this story about Christ taking on the curse of the unfaithful bride that we've talked about, that's a whole nother sermon, uh, but now it's also talking about an inheritance. It's also, we're going to get an inheritance. Well, an inheritance means there has to be a will. And you can't get your inheritance until the one who wrote the will does what? Dies and bequeaths it to you. Meaning, watch this, you now own it. Yeah. That's huge, right? When your ancestor or whatever dies, has a will, and has bequeathed you the money, the house, the land, the stuff, you now own it. So God is saying, listen, I want you into my, in my family. This is how it works. These things have to be followed explicitly. You're coming in through one door, one way, one life, my Messiah. That is also going to prove that I am God. And when you come in, you're going to get your inheritance. I'm even going to die on the cross, take on the curses of the unfaithful bride, and bequeath you your inheritance. Adoptions as sons and daughters into the very family of God and watch this, a right to be in heaven. I got one whispered amen. Thank you. And I, got, I got two. Can I get three? Give me, give me three. I got, I got three. Come again. Give me, give me four. I mean, my goodness. Right? That's pretty cool. Hmm. Then he goes right back to it in verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, what? With water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant of the God that God commanded for you. It continues on your back page. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. This is where we get this famous quote, sentence, almost probably everyone in the room knows. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Who shed the blood? The first time it was the calf, the red heifer. The second time it was Messiah, because the calf was a picture of Messiah shedding his blood to forgive us of the sins and die enacting the will and resurrected as 
the bridegroom where he can now remarry his bride, his unfaithful bride who has now been made perfect and holy and separate so that he can marry us and stay true to his word. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing, isn't it? And it says in verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Let's go ahead and jump down to verse 28 where I've got this highlight. It says, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. You see that? There it is. He came once, was struck, beaten, and crushed, but he's also going to come a second time. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. When he comes back the second time, he's not going to be dealing with sin. It's already been dealt with. You either have him as your Savior or you don't. When he comes back the second time, it says, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hallelujah. That's what's going to happen when he comes back the second time. And it's about to happen. So now look in John chapter 3, in case we're trying to, some people say, well, you know, you're making a stretch. Well, I'm going to take the words of my Messiah over anybody else. Whether it's a prophet, apostle, priest, Preacher, commentator, I don't care if he's an Old Testament prof. I don't care if he's the president of a seminary. I don't care if he's the Pope. I don't care if he's a resurrected Billy Graham. I'm going to take the words of my Messiah over anybody else. If it doesn't line up with what he says, it's got to be wrong. Or else he's not, my, he's not the Messiah. So this is what our Messiah said. Because here he's talking to... For the story, we're going to keep it in context. He's talking to Nicodemus. Man's got to be born again, you know. And he's like, Nicodemus is like, dude, what are you talking? What? How's that going to work? And then Jesus goes, man, I'm talking to you about earthly things. You can't figure it out. You're supposed to be a teacher. How are you going to even understand heavenly things, spiritual things? He continues on, and this is where he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There it is. But you know what the part we remember is the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He's saying, this is Jesus saying, look, when I and my father did this, we were painting this picture, Nicodemus. And just like that was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. Why? Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. He didn't want His children to perish. He didn't want to send serpents. But you know what? We get what we ask for. And we say, well, you know what? It's like this. You know, did you know that God doesn't send anybody to hell? Did you know that? He doesn't really send anybody there. We choose to go. If you don't want to live with God, fine. Okay. There's only one place where He doesn't exist. He had to isolate a little area. We know it as hell, but that's the only place where He doesn't exist. So you don't want to live with Him? No problem. There's your spot. I'm going to be everywhere else your choice. And I'm going to paint a picture over 
and over and over and over. And I'm even going to tell you plainly. I'm even going to send my Messiah. And then he's going to tell you plainly. He's going to say what he meant and meant what he say. And he's going to fulfill what he said so that you'll know that he really is the Messiah. We're going to do all these miracles. We're going to make it plain as day. And if you choose not to obey, and if you choose not to follow it, it's because you choose not to. You can't say, well, we just didn't know. I mean, everybody here got a Bible? Anybody here not have a Bible? So everybody's got one. Can you read? If you can't read, can you listen? So, I mean, you can get all this. You can get it for free. I've showed so many people. You, know, you can get the Bible for free on your phone, on your computer, or whatever. And you can listen to it 24-7 for free. So, don't, we can't say we didn't know. It's right there in black and white. It's right there in front of us. We can read it. We can see it. We can know it. We should just follow Him. This is where He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Remember, this is Jesus talking. (coughs) And this is the judgment that light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, when people reject God and reject His Word, there's a reason. I don't want my works to be shown by the light, so I'd rather hide in the darkness. Because if I let the, the light of the Word of God shine on my life, my evil deeds will be seen, and I'll be proven to be the hypocrite I know that I am. So to keep from even dealing with that, I'll lie to myself and tell myself I'm not so I can feel better about myself. Folks, that's what goes on every day. (coughs) For every, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Now look at this. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen. Now watch this. It may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out By whom? Finish the sentence for me. Wow. So what he's saying here, (coughs) anything you do that's good, according to the Word of God, is because God has empowered you to do it. That's why the Scripture says we're saved by grace through faith, and even that not of yourself. It is also a gift of God. Why? So that you and I can't boast. We can't go, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry, you idiots. Hey, at least I was smart enough to trust in Jesus. I mean, you know, you're getting what you choose, so, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, bunch of idiots. Wrong. Why? Because God knew if I let you choose all on your own, you're going to get prideful. And there's one thing God hates, and that's pride. So to make sure we don't boast, he goes, look, I'm even going to give you faith. So when you think about your salvation, it should drive you to tears. That's why the Scripture says there's none righteous. There's no one that's out there looking for God. 
God came and got you. He snatched you out of the darkness because He loves you. And He wants you and I to show the world His goodness, greatness, and glory. And it's His working in us that even gives us the ability to do anything good so that when we do something good, we will let our light shine before men in such a way that they will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the whole thing. That's the whole story. That's your Bible. That and understanding the uniqueness and integrity of the name of God will unlock your Bible. It is the key to opening up your Bible for everything to make any sense at all. God is doing everything to glorify Himself. Everything. And it all revolves around His name because He said, look, I'm outside of time and space. I created everything. All you bozos that think you understand everything, you don't even understand time and space. I created it. I'm outside of it. Therefore, when you think you can outthink me, you should think again. Because you don't even know what you're thinking about, much less what you're talking about. You can't. So therefore, when I say I'm going to do something and I declare it, then I declare it through my prophets, I'm going to do it exactly the way I said I was going to do it because when I do this, it proclaims who I am. I said I was going to send a Messiah. I sent him. I gave you all these prophecies. It should be mind-boggling, but people still want to reject it. I'm doing all these things, and I'm telling you all this stuff, but you know what? You keep adding to and taking away from my word. Therefore, you don't know what it's saying. You've adulterated it to the point you can't count to three. We can't. Jesus died on Friday, rose on Sunday. That's three days. Say it with a straight face. I mean, with a straight face. Yeah, that's three days. Even when Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to give this wicked generation is in the same way Noah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. From Friday to Sunday, that's three days and three nights, somehow. Because it needed to fit our theology. So we twisted it from all that anti-Semitism junk. And we don't understand the Old Testament. We don't understand when he said he was dying right before this Sabbath and it was a high Sabbath. We don't understand that that was Nisan 15. It wasn't a Saturday. Nisan 15 is always a Sabbath. It's the first day of unleavened bread. It's an annual Sabbath. Duh. He died on the evening of the 14th, Passover. Buried that evening. The next day was their annual high Sabbath. I'll tell you, that would have been Thursday. Then the women went on Friday and bought and prepared the spices. 
Then it says, and then they rested on the Sabbath, as was their custom, the weekly Saturday Sabbath. Then he rose on Sunday, and first fruits is always a Sunday. Always. So he rises on first fruits in the ground three days and three nights, but we've added to and taken away from the Word of God so much, we not only can't count to three, we will tell people with a straight face, well, that's three days and three nights. And it goes on and on and on when the Messiah said it. So if the Messiah said this is how it's going to happen and it doesn't happen, can somebody say, "Uh uh-oh? Then he can't be the Messiah, right? I know some of y'all, that might have just rocked your world. You're like, this guy's a weirdo. This has got to be a cult. I got to get out of here. All I'm trying to do is teach exactly what the Word of God actually says so that we'll know what's been happening, so that we'll know what is happening, so that we'll know what will happen, so we'll be properly prepared and can glorify our King. Plain and simple. Your God loves you so much that He molded Himself, look at it this way, as a fiery serpent. He became like us but without sin. So that He could die and be raised on the cross for our sins so that all those that look upon Him and trusting in Him will be saved and forgiven of the bite. He will be healed of the bite, the wound. And He's going to come back for those that are eagerly waiting for Him. Folks, man, that is some powerful good news. If you thought the world was crazy now, you haven't seen anything yet. You really need to batten down the hatches, kind of. You need to buckle your, tighten your belt, because it's going to get really crazy. This is nothing. Um. Those of us that truly believe the Word of God will become extremely dangerous and big targets. If you're willing to play the game, say whatever to get people in the door, adulterate the Word of God, Satan will be happy with that, and you will not have a target. Just accept anything and everything, and everything's going to be okay. It's all okay. God is love. God loves everybody. There's many paths to God. That's your path. We've got our path. They've got their path. They're on no path, but hey, they're good people, so they'll get in, and everything's going to be fine. Well, it's going to be fine. It will all get sorted out, but there's only one way into the kingdom, and it's through our Messiah, who is the true God, the true King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Creator of the universe, that made you in His image to reflect His glory.